0: Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or ten forty-five a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message.
1: When we first moved in, I'll never forget all of our neighbors. They said that we went up, we introduced ourselves, where the Wallace is, where do you guys live? We live right here. And I go, oh, you guys have the house in front of the naked guy's house, right? And we were like, naked guy's house? Like it didn't even like resonate, didn't even dawn on us or anything like that. We're like, naked guy's house? But it wasn't just one neighbor. We went up and we introduced ourselves to another neighbor and we told him where we live. And they're like, oh, you guys are by naked guy. And I'm like, this is getting spooky. All right. And, and it, I didn't think much about it. It wasn't that big of a deal until one day I walked down to my porch. I'm drinking coffee. It's beautiful sunrise, sunset. And then... I get the picture of naked guy standing in front of his his glass doors leading out, and he's just got his coffee, and he is wearing nothing. He is naked, all right? It's like, naked guy. I get it now. And that's how everybody referred to him in the neighborhood. And it was awkward, all right? It was awkward. I'm not going to lie to you. But now I understood that, and I was telling first service, I said, you know, we all kind of have this identity where we kind of rename our our neighbors. And I'll never forget, uh, this is probably about a year ago, two years ago, we had an older gal. She lived three blocks away. Um, I'd only seen her on the corner. I think I've shared this before, but one night she comes around, three blocks away, she kind of comes around into our cul-de-sac, and she knocks on our door, and Chris and I go and answer the door, and and we introduce ourselves. She's hi. I have something to tell you, but I don't. I don't know if I want to share it with you, but I need to share it with you. And and she's like really nervous about it. We're like, you can just share it. Like, what's what's going on? Like, I thought it was something serious. Like maybe she knows I was a pastor or something, right? She goes, well, I can see you guys in your bathroom through your window. <laughs> and I'm like, I, we have one of those like bathroom windows. It's like you know, it's like frosted. You can't see in it. But she says at night when you turn the light, I don't know if it's just the way it was made, but the, I can see you guys. And I was like, this just got super awkward. <laughs> And I was like, you, you can see us, like, you mean you can see our shadow? She's like, no, I can see you. <laughs> so I don't, I get, what do I do with that, right? So I was like, you want some Christmas cookies or? I'm a pastor. <laughs> so it got really awkward, right? And so she left and she walked back. And I remember looking at Christy, and Christy goes, I am horrified, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't think that she's telling the truth, right? I don't you can't see us. It's the frost. I mean, it it was what the builders put in. So you can't see in the bathroom. I said, why don't you walk around the neighborhood where she lives and you peer through three blocks away and see if you can see me in the bathroom, right? So Christy walks, it's dark outside, and she calls me and she goes, okay, turn on the bathroom light. So I turn on the bathroom light and she's looking and I, I like, I'm, she's look, she says she couldn't see anything, but she's looking in the bathroom. I'm thinking now we're going to be the peeping, you know, Tom family because my wife is three blocks away trying to see inside of our bathroom, right? So the whole time, like, we're a little bit freaked out by that. And Christy comes back and says, like, I don't think you can see him, but she's like, I'm really nervous now. And then all of a sudden, something dawned on me. What if we are the new naked family? <laughs> and everybody knows it but us, right? It was horrible feeling that way. We do this. We name people. We rename neighbors. We we name them by how they act or respond or whatever it is. And when I think of Jesus moving into our neighborhood, and we're going to talk about this today, he comes into our neighborhood and he renames us, amen? He doesn't leave us the same way. He doesn't leave us with the same name. When Jesus came into the neighborhood, he changed everything and gave us all new names in him. Amen, church? He does not leave us untouched. He comes in, and in the same way we can do it with one another, Jesus comes in and gives us a good name, his name. You see, Jesus comes in, and he steps down, and he renames us, and he renames our situations, and that's what I wanna talk about today, just real quickly, because we've got a special person coming up to share today. I wanna talk about how Jesus stepped down to reclaim us and rename us. It's one of the most important, in my opinion, uh, principles in scripture, because we've been working through, like, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come into a manger? Why did God step down? Last week, we said God stepped down to restore us back to the Father's heart. You guys remember that? That he came, he ripped the veil, the veil was torn, we now have access to God. So that's one of the things that he came to do, is restore us back to the Father. But another thing that he came to do is he came to reclaim us and rename us. And I'm going to show you where that comes from in our scripture. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Luke 19 for a minute. Jesus' mission on reclaiming and renaming. And so in Luke chapter 19, we run into this situation where Jesus encounters a guy named Zacchaeus. How many of you guys have heard of Zacchaeus. How many of you guys know the song? Zacchaeus was. Out. All right, good job. You guys need to come to caroling tonight, okay? Yeah. Caroling tonight, tonight, five and five thirty. Be here. So um, Jesus encounters a guy named Zacchaeus who's a tax collector. Now, understand, tax collectors. Well, it may be similar today. Tax collectors were not liked in those days, okay? They were not liked at all. In fact, they were really hated in those days. And here's why. They were corrupt. They were after their own gain. They would take more than their share. And so because of that, some of the poverty and the destitute of the people that were there was built on the fact that these greedy tax collectors would come in the name of the government or come in the name of whatever it is, authority they were over, and they would take more than the share that they were supposed to. So Zacchaeus had a bad reputation. He was not like, people were kind of ticked off at Jesus. And if you read in Luke 19, you'll see that part where it says the people were grumbling that Jesus would take time and spend with this guy named Zacchaeus. I'm sure in some of their minds, they thought, man, he's, he's, he's sold out. He's, what, what is he doing with Zacchaeus? But then something happened. Jesus moved into Zacchaeus' neighborhood. If you remember, he said, Zacchaeus, come home. I want to come home with you. I want to have dinner at your place. Jesus came into Zacchaeus's neighborhood, and he had an encounter with him that would forever change his life. Listen to this. Verse 8 of Luke 19. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much and that moment of Zacchaeus seeing Jesus enter into his neighborhood, something overflowed. Jesus never said, hey man, go give all the money back. Wh- whatever it was that they had, whatever conversation that Jesus invited himself into at that dinner table, Zacchaeus left with this one thing on his heart. If I've cheated anyone, I'm not going to give back what I took. I'm going to give four times back what I took. And then everything else that I have, I'm going to cut it in half and I'm going to give it to the poor. Something stirred in his heart with the encounter that he had with the Lord. But look at Jesus' response in verse Verse 9, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek, everybody say seek, and save, say save, Save. that which was lost. This is part of the mission of Jesus Christ, that he came to seek, not that we had to try to come and just find him. A lot of times we ask people, have you found Jesus? And I think we got to change that. He's found you. Amen? Amen. We don't have to go try to find Jesus. He's found you. He came to seek and save that which was lost. So here we see in verse 10, the mission of reclaiming and renaming comes from verse 10, to seek and save that which was lost. And let me just say a principle that we all got to get today. And that principle is that when you reclaim something, you have the authority to rename something. Amen? When you reclaim something, you have the authority to rename something. Jesus had the authority to rename things like you and I, the authority to rename situations like you and I are walking through. He had the authority to rename because he had been there to reclaim us by his blood on the cross. This is a part of the Christmas picture. Yes, he came to restore right relationship with God, but he also came to give you a new name, and he came to give your situation a new name. When you reclaim something, you have the right and the authority to rename it. Look what Isaiah 61 says in, in, in verse 1 through 3. Jesus will repeat this when he comes, and we read it in the Gospels. Jesus will repeat this as to why he came. But Isaiah 61 is kind of this, this prof, the prophetic word or prophecy of, of Jesus' coming. And uh, li- listen to what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. So Isaiah's talking about the Messiah that's going to come. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring news to the poor, good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim that the captives will be, somebody say, will be, will be released, and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of the Lord's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, and here's the key. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. He's changing some things. He's reclaiming your life. He's taking the ashes. He's giving you what? Somebody say beauty. Beauty. Now listen to this. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. He's going to take your mourning. He's going to give you a joyous blessing. He's renaming your situation. He's renaming what's ever been put into your life. Festive praise instead of despair. You see, this is the way God works. He takes one thing and gives you another thing. Amen? Amen only the things that he takes from you and the things that he gives you the thing he gives you is going to be much better always amen listen to this verse 7 instead of shame and dishonor you will enjoy a double share of honor you will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting somebody say everlasting everlasting joy will be yours. So from, the t- from this time when Jesus came and stepped on planet earth and fulfilled his mission, this is what he did. He came and he reclaimed that which was rightfully his that had been taken away by the enemy. He reclaimed that which was rightfully his that he created us in. He reclaimed that and then he gave a new name to those things. And today I believe somebody in this place needs to hear you've been renamed. And your situation has been reclaimed. And I wanna talk specifically about something that I think is very, very big right now in people's hearts, and that is when I use the word valley, somebody say valley. When I use the word valley, I'm talking about the situation or despair that you feel like you're in, that place, the valley. It's not the mountain high. You know, whenever you say I'm on a mountain high experience, it means things are just good. But I'm gonna talk to a lot of people today that are in valleys, okay? And so what I wanna to say today is that Jesus Christ is renaming our valleys, okay? Jesus is renaming our valleys. And I don't know, maybe your valley is you. Maybe it's not a situation or a circumstance. Maybe your valley is not a person. Maybe your valley is you. You can't get over you. You can't get around you. You can't get out of your mind. And because of that, the valley has been you. Your self-worth, your self-issues, your value system of who you are. Whatever it is, we've all got valleys in our life. And I don't know what valley you're passing through today, but I know that God is capable of turning that difficult, bad valley, bad situation into a golden opportunity for him. Now, there's an article that I read. A message I read a couple, couple weeks ago, man, and it just absolutely burned in my soul. And I want to share some of what this process looks like that I read from this pastor. It was so good. In Old Testament, you'll find that there were all sorts of valleys that they found themselves in. And almost every time they're in a valley, that's where the war happened. Wars did not happen up on the mountains. Wars did not happen up on the peaks. Wars happened down in the valley, right? And so, almost everywhere you went and you saw wars in scripture, it was in a valley of something, okay? And so, we're gonna talk about what these valleys look like. And so, number one, I gotta go quick, man, because again, we got an awesome somebody that's gonna share something today. Number one, how we see our valley is important, amen? How we see our valley is important. If you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting with verse 21, listen to this. So you've got this king. His name was Jehoshaphat. He His army was way undersized against the army that was coming against him. Jehoshaphat is the leader of God's people. He's the, he's the, he's the leader of Israel. He's the king of Israel. And so all of a the sudden, these armies are getting ready to come against Jehoshaphat. They are way outmatched, way outnumbered. In the natural realm, there's no way Jehoshaphat and the people of God are going to defeat these armies. And they know it. And something is stirring in them And so they're in this valley moment right now And they're like Lord what do we do Check this out in verse 21 After consulting the people The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army Can we just like who does that Who puts singers in front of the army Any great singers out there Welcome to the front lines right he appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing the Lord, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Listen to this. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting against themselves. Church, if you read the rest of this, it's beautiful. These armies fight against themselves. These armies kill themselves, and the people of God are just marching through and singing. They didn't really even have to lift sword against them because God did the work, amen? Now, here's the crazy thing. In that moment, that valley had a name to it, but look at verse 26. On the fourth day, they gathered in the valley of blessing. Somebody say blessing. Which got its name that day because the people of God praised and thanked the Lord there. Let me just... Let me just say this because I think it's important. Sometimes we think I can't be in the valley and be blessed at the same time. In the valley, I'm discouraged. In the valley, I'm hurting. I've got health issues. I've got marriage issues. I've got finance issues. People at work don't treat me right. Whatever it is, we see the valley as being negative. And as soon as I get out of this situation, as soon as I climb out of this valley, then my attitude is going to change. I'm going to have a better attitude, God, as soon as I get out of the valley. I want to tell you today something. God doesn't always remove the valley, but he'll bless you in the valley. God doesn't always remove the valley, but he'll bless you in the valley. I promise you right there in that moment, King Jehoshaphat was going, God, remove us from the valley. No, that's not what he did. He says, go and sing in the valley and watch what I do. There are times in our life where God is looking to bless you in that moment. Let me show you what this looks like in Psalm 23, verse 5. David, this is a popular psalm, right? And they're talking about the valley and walking through the valley. And David says this in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Look what it doesn't say, God will remove all my enemies, eliminate all that's bothering me and then prepare a table for me. No, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst midst of the trials, in the midst of all that, it says that God in that moment prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He doesn't have to deliver you from it if he can deliver you in it, amen, church? He doesn't have to deliver you from it if he can deliver you in it. I think there's a lot of times we walk around, man, we want God to get me out of this valley. And God's got, no, 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 I'm delivering you in the valley right now. You may be in a valley right now fighting a battle in your health and your finances and your situations or whatever. Whatever's going on in your life, God knows how to turn your battlefield into a blessing field. Amen? He can do a work in that. The valley isn't to harm you. I want you to hear me say this. All through scripture, it talks about God leading us into the valley, why? The valley isn't to harm you, the valley is to increase you. You need to get ready. It's not going to stay a valley of defeat, it's gonna turn into a valley of victory. Hear me church, God is reclaiming, God is renaming, God is going to turn the valley into a valley of new beginnings, a valley of greater fulfillment, a valley of breakthrough, a valley of abundance, a valley of victory, just like he did for Jehoshaphat and the army of God. They looked at it, they said, there's no way we can't do this, there's no way we can win, there's no way we can get around it, we are gonna get slaughtered. They took time, they praised the Lord. He said, go in and praise me in the valley. Praise me in the valley of despair. Praise me in the valley where the army's at. Praise me when you feel overwhelmed. Praise me in the moment where you don't think you're getting out of it, and watch what I can do. This is what it means for God to reclaim and rename your valleys in your life. And I think it's very interesting that Jehoshaphat experienced that with his army. So number one, we need to look at it different, look at our valleys differently. Number two, what we speak to our valleys are important, amen, come on now. What we speak to our valleys are important. Notice in the valley, they weren't complaining. They weren't saying, we'll never get out of this. This problem's too big, what's gonna happen to us? They sang praises, talking about the greatness of God. They were speaking, I love this quote that I read, they were speaking faith into their future. Somebody needs to hear that. They were speaking faith into their future. I don't know who holds my future. I don't know what my future looks like. I don't I don't know what my future is gonna look like. But we know who holds your future. They were speaking faith into their future. What you're saying in the valley is extremely important. When you start talking about how great God is, how no weapon formed against you will prosper, how this problem didn't come to stay, but this problem shall shall uh, soon pass. When you start talking about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, I am more than a conqueror. When this becomes our language, God will show up and make things happen that we couldn't do within ourselves. This becomes the language of who we are. And isn't it interesting, the place where they had one of their greatest battles in this place, the most powerful enemies that they were coming against. God didn't call it the valley of opposition, the valley of struggle, the valley of heartache. He called it the valley of blessing. When you face tough times, have this new perspective that it's not a valley of defeat, but a valley of victory. Every voice is going to tell you opposite. Every voice is going to tell you, well, that's a valley of defeat. That is a valley that you need to get out of. You need to run. You need to get out of it. You're never going to to move. You're never going to prosper in that. You're never going to do those things. The good news is you don't have to get out of the valley. God can bless you in the valley, teach you in the valley, increase you in the valley, and then do whatever he wants to in the valley. Amen? Number three, real quickly, once we speak to our valleys differently, once we see our valleys differently, then the third thing, real quickly, is we need to rename them. We gotta rename our valleys. Don't fight your valleys, rename your valleys. And if that is you, like I have no worth, I have no value, rename that, because God renamed it in you already. He calls you sons and daughters. Rename those valleys. They're leading you to the greatest victories. We always gain something. We may not like it, but we gain experience. We may not like it, but we gain endurance. We may not like it, but we gain character. All of that is being formed in our valleys. When David was 37 years old, check this out. When David was 37 years old, getting ready to enter into kind of that destiny that God had called him into, he found himself in the Valley of Rephim, which means giants. It's the Valley of Giants. Now here's the crazy thing. So David, in the same valley, called the Valley of Giants, 20 years earlier as a teenager, David killed Goliath in this valley. This is where David killed Goliath, in this valley of giants, okay? But now not only did he face Goliath, he faced a valley of Goliath. There was an army coming against him that wanted to wipe David and everybody else that was from Israel off the map. So they were coming against David. And listen, church, I want you to hear this. The closer that you are to your destiny, the greater opposition that's going to come against you. It's just going to happen. You may overcome one challenge and more may come. But don't don't be surprised at that because you're walking into the fullness of God. And when you walk into the fullness of God, the fullness of the enemy is coming at you. Amen? Listen to what it says in 2 Samuel 5.20. I love this. So David is in the valley of giants where he had defeated Goliath. So David went to baal Perazim, defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named that place baal Perazim, which means the Lord who bursts or breakthroughs. He takes a valley of giants. God reclaims it and renames it as the place of breakthrough. Amen? It's no longer giants. It's the place of what? Come on, somebody say Breakthrough. It's no longer giants. It's the place of breakthrough. When you face situations that seem impossible, you need to, you you and I, we gotta act like David a little bit. We need to rename that valley. This is not the valley of debt. It's not the valley of struggle. It's not the valley of lack. I'm renaming it the valley of abundance, the valley of promotion, the valley of increase, amen? And I'm not just talking to name it, claim it. I'm saying we know the name who's claimed all things and we fall into him, amen? Whether or not he wants to do something for financially for you or whether or not he just wants you to put your faith in him, that's up to him. That's up to him, but I'm telling you right now, it's not the valley of lack, it's the valley of increase. It's not the valley of cancer or heart disease or kidney failure or sickness. I'm renaming it the valley of health, the valley of wholeness, the valley of victory. It's not the valley of loneliness or loss or disappointment. I'm renaming it the valley of breakthrough, the valley of victory, and the valley of blessing. Today, this is how your valley begins. Now, what does this look like practically speaking? I'm gonna invite my wife to come on up here. Would you come on up here, babe? And she's gonna share something on her heart. Out of all my life, she's the greatest example of the love of God that I've seen when it comes to transformation. And uh, yeah, amen, you can clap at that, because I love her. But I asked her to come and share with you a little bit of her testimony of what this looks like, practically speaking, when you fall into a valley and feel like you're never gonna get out, and how God can bring you through, no matter what the obstacle or the valley that stands before you and him, amen? So I'm gonna turn it over to you, babe, go ahead.
0: All right, here we go, Lord. <laughs> when Aaron asked me to tag team this morning's message with him, I kind of stared at him wide-eyed and hesitant. <laughs> Came up with a thousand excuses that may work for you, but it doesn't work when you're married to the pastor. I said, Are you sure? <laughs> I just don't know, hon. I'm not great at speaking in front of people. And then that quote started resonating in my mind from Goonies, that one where he says, it's your time, it's your time up here, it's my time, it's my time down there. So even though I am the communications major from the very best university around, and that would not be K-State, it would be <laughs> Nebraska, I'm going to just throw that out there, um, I'm not a preacher. That would be my husband. So I probably won't pace around and throw my arms up and get all excited up here. But I promise God, if I ever made it to the other side of my battle with fear, anxiety, and depression, that I would be faithful to handing that torch back to those still in darkness to give him all the glory. So this morning, I come to you as one who has been renamed by my Heavenly Father, and that's what I want to share with you today. So for a good portion of my life, I listened to the words that the enemy spoke over me. He didn't speak loud and clear. He whispered when he spoke. And I soon found myself inclining my ear closer and closer and closer to hear what he was saying. And I heard these words from my childhood all the way to my adulthood. You, Christy, you're not worthy of the love of a heavenly father. You can't even gain your earthly father's approval. How can you expect to gain that of your heavenly father? You, Christy, you continue to fail as a mom over and over and over again. Look around you and see what all those other moms are doing You are so inadequate and you're messing your kids up. You will always be insecure and trapped in comparison and competition. I see how you focus on what everyone around you is doing and you just keep spinning your wheels in that rat race. Your mind is confused and it's broken. Don't ever think you're gonna overcome your thoughts. I've made you a slave to anxiety and fear. You will always worry in life. It's just who you are. You can never measure up. You're always going to fall short of being who God created you to be. You don't have a purpose. You can't even be a pastor's wife well. And you see, the granddaddy of them all was you, Christy. You are not enough. And you never will be as I listened to his crafted lies, I began to replay them over and over in my mind. And I began to believe what the enemy was saying was true about me. You see, I'm a firstborn child. In our firstborn brains, they begin to form lists of imagined and unachievable expectations that I had to accomplish in order to prove myself to my family, my friends, my husband, my children, my God. And even me. It's true that the manner in which we see ourselves is the manner in which we will be. So I want to stop right here and ask you, is it possible that you've heard the same whispers from the enemy? Has he called you some of those same names? Has he whispered to you that you're not brave enough or smart enough, gifted enough, strong enough, good enough, accomplished enough, that you aren't enough? I've come to see that it's true, the enemy's main tactic is always to distort our true identity. So with each lie, I fell deeper and deeper into anxiety and depression. And anxiety and depression, they often go hand in hand. My anxiety was fueled by my fear of failing as a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend. And so in my fear of failing, I would cling to my flesh and do everything I could to try harder and to strive more, to control my world around me, and to spin it into perfection. And when I couldn't exert enough control and things started to come crashing down, then I would sink into depression, believing I wasn't good enough, I never would be, and life would operate much better without me around. I felt hopeless and helpless and worthless. This was a repetitive cycle that named my life. Round and round I would go, the enemy laughing as he spinned me deeper and deeper into his hell of lies and torment. What held me in this tailspin was my performance and lack of understanding in the goodness of God and how much he loved me. You see, I began to believe that it all depended on me. He enticed me to fix my eyes on what everyone else was doing and compare my life to everyone else's best. And I just kept striving and trying, trying and striving to meet all the unrealistic expectations that I had told myself were realistic. I didn't really understand it at the time, But what I needed was to be set free from me, the me I had created in my mind and was striving to be. God wanted me to just be me, the imperfect me. He didn't want me to keep trying to be someone else. I heard him say, Christy, I created you to be free. In who I created you to be. You will never find freedom in anything else. And then he asked me this Am I enough for you, Christy? Am I enough? This was probably the most difficult question for a perfectionist like me Is God enough? Everything in my heart wanted to say yes, but my mind was in slavery to self. I want to share with you a little portion of my journal. I told Aaron, I'm not a preacher, but I can be real, even if it's hard. And so I want to share with you a little bit of what I wrote when I was going through this time. Lord, upon waking, I feel so shaky. My mind is swirling and out of control. I can't grab hold of my thoughts. Fear tries to overwhelm me along with all of these feelings. I cry out to you for peace. I'm giving so little, and it's hard to focus my mind, and I just feel so scattered. I admit that I'm afraid, and I feel inadequate, and it's hard for me to see anything positive, to cling to any hope. I've often wondered if I'm not trying hard enough or fighting with all that I know. I know my feelings have become a stronghold and I'm not coming against them. I just feel so weak and worn out. In all that I am not doing and know that I should be, Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me for all of my weaknesses? I am desperate for my mind to return, to be whole and complete. I don't understand why I'm here yet again, this valley so low. I only know that you want me another layer freer. And you wanna show me that my default is that I'm self-dependent and I will perform towards perfectionism to feel loved and worthy because deep down, I have believed that I am unlovable. The default that I keep returning to is a lie and I know I've accepted it as truth. Lord, I want you to be my default, your love to be my default. I want to rest in your truth and not depend on myself, but find freedom in allowing Christ in me. That is my only hope. All it took was a moment that was really built on a thousand other moments of crying out at his feet, being completely broken and desperate to know his love for me. My favorite children's Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible says it this way, his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever, renaming love for me. Do you know Jesus is a suddenly father? His timing is not our timing and he can bring sudden change to our heart and mind. Like that. You've probably heard this said before. But the distance between your heart and your head is only 18 inches. But for a good portion of my life, I had been told countless times of Jesus' love for me. But there's a really big difference between knowing he loves me and ultimately believing and receiving his love for me. Only 18 inches, and yet... In that 18 inches between my mind and my heart, things were messy, and my heart did not believe what was in my mind. There, I allowed the lies of the enemy to hold me hostage. That's the problem with all of our souls, is we think we know a truth, but then we don't live it out like we believe it. But it just took a moment and my spiritual eyes were open to behold the Father's love for me. The walls came crashing down, the lies began to burn to ashes. And it was in that moment that I made an intentional choice to trust that what my Heavenly Father says about me is the truth, not what the enemy says about me, not what I even say about myself or even feel about myself, because my feelings will lie. But what Jesus says about me, I had to make a deliberate decision to agree with God and disagree with the enemy. Jesus is a true gentleman. And what I mean by that is he honors our choices. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen says, today I have given you the choice between death In life between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You see, for so long, I wanted Jesus to just do it all for me. I didn't want to fight because it was just too hard. I want to give you this example. When Tyson was little, He didn't like to sleep. Does anyone else out there have a two-year-old that doesn't like to sleep? (laughs) So you put your two-year-old to bed. They come back out again. You put them to bed again. They come back out again. You may have to put them to bed several times until they stay there. And you may have to get quite firm. You don't just say, okay, I guess you can stay up. You win, come on, let's get a pop and a big bowl of ice cream and we'll just watch a late night movie together. But how often do we do that with our thoughts? We put them away and then we let them back out again. In fact, we cozy right up with them and hold them close. If you are consistent with discipline, your two-year-old learns he has to stay in bed. It's what's best for him. The same can be said with your thoughts. But it's going to take hard work and consistency. Is there anyone else out there today that feels like the battle you are fighting is just too hard? It's just too much. You're tired. You're weary. You want to give up. Your breakthrough just seems too far off in the distance. I've been there, that was me. It was going to take work on my part. That was Jesus' plan. We were going to go through that valley together. He would provide the weapons, but I had to pick them up and use them. He was going to provide a way out, but I had to take it. He already declared that I was free 2,000 years ago, but I had to receive it and walk in it. It was my choice. I could choose to either believe the lies of the enemy that i heard for so long, or to believe to see myself the way that God sees me. Let me tell you today, receiving is half the battle. Believing is the other half. And sometimes that believing is a moment-by-moment choice based on faith. At first, I didn't believe I could control my thoughts. That is not true. I hold the power of choice and I learned that I could think my way out of bondage and into freedom if I learned to think the way that God wanted me to think. Bill Johnson says it this way, I can't afford to have a thought about myself that Jesus doesn't think. So my prayer was this, God, would you make me aware of when my thinking is not in line with your thoughts about me? My brain had been conditioned over the years to agree with the lies. Those were the worn paths in my mind but I had to pave new paths and patterns of thinking and relentlessly drive my thoughts over and over those new roads until they became my worn in paths. You see, the only way out of the bondage I was in, the only way out of the valley was to go through. So practically speaking, to rewire my brain, I'm gonna give you just a few things that I began to do. The first was I had to recognize the lie. So when the negative thoughts and emotions would arise inside of me, I had to be on guard and ask myself, which kingdom is trying to influence me? That's how we take our thoughts captive. We put them under lockdown and quickly decide whether or not they are words of life or of death. Secondly, I had to choose who I was going to agree with. Was I going to agree with Satan or with God? Because whoever we agree with is who we give authority to. Third, I had to declare the truth out loud. Even if I had a hard time believing it, if I didn't feel it, if I couldn't wrap my mind around it, I had to take a stand on faith and agree with God. With every condemnation, I had to speak a declaration of truth. And speaking it out loud is key. It sends it out into the atmosphere, the spiritual realm around us. It engages our ears to hear the truth. So it would sound something like this. I reject that thought. It doesn't belong to me. I refuse to own it. This is what God says about me. And this is the truth I'm choosing to believe. And then lastly, I had to constantly remind myself of who God says I am. I did this by posting reminders of God's love for me in places around our house. If you think Aaron's bad with notes and sticky notes, (laughs) you should have seen our house during this time. They were on the bathroom mirror above the window, Um, above the sink, in the car, on the dashboard, I set forth a list of God's reminders. And I would say, I would read them out loud. I am invaluable to the kingdom of heaven. God has appointed a specific role that only I can play. I am needed and wanted, chosen and set apart, beloved and worthy. I am empowered by God's very own spirit to overcome. I have the mind of Christ, because Christ dwells in me. I am made complete and whole. My mind is complete and whole. It has nothing missing and nothing broken. I am standing firm. I will not be shaken. I receive my healing, and I am free. I tell you this today, until the truth completely replaces the lie, there is no freedom. The truth I began to stand upon was simply this, I don't have to be enough, because he is enough. Jesus is enough, do you hear that today? He is enough, and in that I can forgive myself for not being enough in my own eyes. I desire you to experience the same freedom that I experienced. So I'm going to ask you, would you close your eyes for a minute? Would you push away all the distractions? I want to rename you today. And I want you to hear with your physical and spiritual ears your new name. Sister, you are beauty when you see yourself ugly. Brother, you are wanted when you see yourself broken. You are hope when you feel hurt. You are loved when you feel worthless. You are accepted when you feel rejected. You are forgiven when you experience shame. You are strong when you feel weak. You are adopted when you feel orphaned. You are favored when you feel forgotten. You are brave when you just want to run and hide. You are delivered when you feel imprisoned. You are enough when you stop trying to be. Today, your identity in Christ is rock solid. You can't change it, but you do have the choice to believe or not to believe. Although that does not change the fact that you are adopted by the king it all comes down to faith or unbelief you can choose to live in the castle or the village but you are still a royal son or daughter you can knock on the king's chamber door and gain entrance whenever you like or you can wave periodically from a distance you can worry about the concerns of commoners or you can concern yourself with the affairs of your king These choices are yours alone. God will not make them for you. But your heavenly Father, oh, he loves you. And he so wants you to choose to believe what he says about you today out of faith and trust. So I ask you today, will you receive your new name today?
1: today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.